processes um, very crucial because you know, to be able to scale, you need to have repeatable processes, processes that um, you know, that are standardized across the whole business. Um, if not, you know, it's going to be very difficult to manage multiple operations in different countries. Hello and welcome to Entrepreneur Stop Africa, a source of inspiration and action from African leaders and founders. I'm Mark Israel, founder, CEO, startup coach, university lecturer, and human being. And I have the pleasure of being your host today. Today, we will step into business expansion and particularly geo expansion by welcoming Adefolu Majikodumni, co-founder and managing director of Aseco Nigeria on our podcast. Bolu, thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you, Mark. And thank you very much for uh, having me on your podcast. It's our pleasure. And I'm really, really having, uh, I'm very happy to have you as a guest, Bolu, first, because, well, we have been knowing each other for for a while now. And, uh, you know, back in the days where we were both working for this uh, well, small software company based in Redmond, that's it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and second, because, well, you're one of the very active players in the tech space uh, in Nigeria and in West Africa overall. And I'm sure that you have a lot to share on building and growing a tech business in Africa. So to start really into to dive uh, and to plan the decor for the audience. So can you tell us, um, you know, who you are and share your entrepreneurial journey. Okay, so um, my name is Adefolu Majakodumi. Um, I have over 20 years experience in the technology space, particularly in terms of software, um, primarily on the business side with regards to providing software to organizations throughout Europe, Middle East and Africa. Um, I spent uh, five years um, following, I'm going to university in the UK, um, working at one of the largest financial software companies in the world. Um, it was then called Mysis, um, and now it's called Finastra, um, where I ran the Eastern West African business for them. I, after that, I went to business school in France and in Singapore at INSEAD, where I more or less unearthed my desire to, um, to set up a company. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. After that, I worked with um, Microsoft for 10 years um, throughout West, Eastern, Central Africa, um, because my passion has always been Pan-African business. Um, and in 2014, um, I left Microsoft to set up two companies, um, one a digital payments company and secondly, Aseco Nigeria, um, which is an enterprise software company and is a subsidiary of the fifth largest software company in Europe called the Aseco Group. Um, so I am currently the managing director of Aseco Nigeria and a director, a non-executive director at the other company called Capricorn Digital um, that I set up uh, six years ago. So that's a brief summary about my background. It's primarily Pan-African, very much technology-oriented, um, partially entrepreneurship, particularly growing businesses right from the onset, um, as well as entrepreneurship, building businesses within businesses. And, 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 and why, why did you take this route or, you know, and, and basically jumping ship for, from this large company we work together in? Um, this, this entrepreneurship journey started in, 20, in 
in 2004, actually, when I was at business school, um, I attended a course called the New Business Ventures. And at that, in the course, we, we had to write about our new business venture plan. And mm-hmm. I had actually written that I wanted to build a Pan-African technology business um, okay. to, the po- to the point, and initially starting in Nigeria, to the point that it would then be um, acquired um, by a global or multinational technology company. Um, so in 10 years later, 2014, um, ASECO, which uh, is a Polish company based out of Poland, um, wanted to come into Nigeria and acquire the largest software company in Nigeria. And I was providing them with some advice in that respect. They couldn't find a company to, to, to actually acquire. So I seized the opportunity um, as I was just leaving Microsoft to actually set up a business, set up a company, and they acquired the majority um, shareholding of that organization. So okay. that, was, that is what I refer to as funded entrepreneurship. Um, in essence, they identified a talent that they could invest in and they could trust to build a business. And I obviously co-owned that business. Mm. Um, so that's really you know, the, the evolution from an idea yeah, where I'd actually had the vision of creating a multinational business that was being acquired, you know, by uh, initially, you know, indigenous, then acquired by a multinational, to the point that, you know, it's already been done, um, and it was yeah. done from day one. Uh, so that's, uh, in essence, that's how I started this entrepreneurship journey. And that's and that's quite unusual because generally, so um, well, most of the founders that we've interviewed on the ca- on the podcast or or that that. You know, we're meeting, generally, you build your business, you struggle with finance, uh, you, you go through business angels, VCs, and, and eventually you got IPO'd or, or you, you get acquired. But basically what you're describing it, well, you got acquired from day one. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's a, very, it's a very unique situation. And there are lots of learnings because, you know, I, as I mentioned, I started two companies more or less at the same time. I co-founded another company, this Capital Digital, um, which is now a very large payments company in Nigeria. It's actually one of the largest agency banking companies with over 40,000 agents um, in in the country. Um, So it's it's an extremely profitable business. And we started that business. I started it with a, a good friend of mine. And we started that business in the traditional way. Um, where it was more or less um, literally from a small office, um, really get, getting money together through friends and family, building an MVP, getting investors and going through series of rounds of investment um, with, you know, with friends and family um, mm. to the point that you know, we're now at an investment round with um, you know, PE firms. Um, so I have that experience. But at the same time, you know, I, you know, I was, I had this unique experience of being acquired right from the onset in terms of Aseco and creating the Aseco, Aseco software in Nigeria. And there are mm-hmm. lots of learnings from both journeys um, that I can I, share. As well. Yeah, I, I can imagine. That. And, and, and before going into the, all the learnings, and I'm sure that, you know, we'll go through a lot of them, but um, 
but what has been your number one challenge? Because what you're running two companies at the same time is, is a challenge in itself. Uh, but starting from, from the ground up on one side, uh, launching a venture with somebody else, with, with an investor on the other side. So what, what has been really your number one challenge over the years or at the, at the, at the startup? Okay. So um, I would say, I'll talk primarily with Aseco um, because that's where I, you know, I work day to day. Um, I would say the, the number one challenge has really been around getting the right personnel. Mm. I find that you know, with the right idea, there's, a, you know, there's opportunity to get finance. Um, but it's very, Nigeria is a, is a highly entrepreneurial environment. So mm. you have people who want to build their own businesses. So it's, um, so it's easy to have people that, to get people that are not focused fully um, and don't share the same vision as the founders of the business. Mm. Um, so you know, the difficulty is getting committed, focused, driven, patient um, <laughs> partners um, to work with and build a business with. Um, I would say that that's been primarily been my challenge. And that's interesting because we actually last week, so for the listeners, so we had Eric Van Gils, uh, who is uh, basically a talent manager uh, and he, you know, has hired a lot of, or helped companies uh, hire a lot of talents across Africa. And this is, that's interesting because we went through almost 20 episodes without talking about people, We're talking about ideas and growing businesses and blah, blah, blah. And you're the second guy actually who focuses on, on, on talent uh, mm. as being one of the challenges. And I think that this, this is one of the biggest challenges in Africa overall, yeah. either by, by what you were saying, so they don't focus or they, they prefer working for large organization, which pay more sometimes. Exactly. So, you know, working for large organizations or trying to do their own thing as well um, in terms of their own pursuing their own entrepreneurship vision. So um, I've actually found that, you know, people, patience, trustworthiness, um, these are these are crucial, you know, at the onset of starting a business, you know, because uh, to be able to scale a business, you need a strong team. Um, to, 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 to enable the business to become sustainable. Um, so I would say that, you know, for me, that has been the primary challenge. I haven't really found challenges in terms of finance. I mean, based on my okay. experience that I've had, um, we've been able to get finance for these businesses. Um, you know, I haven't ch- had challenges in terms of finding clients. Um, I would say that uh, beyond people, and probably more or less infrastructure uh, and enabling an environment um, by the government itself. But I'll say it's mm. definitely people because people solve the problems as well. Yeah. And so, and, and, um, and that's a good segue actually in the discussion that we wanted to have around scaling. And so you mentioned that, well, people are, are basically at, at the onset of scaling up uh, your business. So, so how do you approach scaling? Because you started in Nigeria, but you expanded very quickly outside of Nigeria, haven't you? So, yeah, uh, scaling for me, if I look at it from a fundamental business perspective, um, if, I mean, there has to be a real problem that we're trying to solve business-wise in terms yeah. of our technology. And the opportunity has to be big enough because that means that you can actually create a scalable business. 
then if we've got the right problem and we've got the right opportunity, then the, the crucial thing is obviously to get the right solution that's going to be able to work across um, countries and not just within one particular country. Um, so, you know, being able to adapt a solution to meet um, a specific requirement for or the regulatory requirements in each of those countries. Thereafter, for me, it's really around people, process, and platforms. Um, I would say from a people perspective, it's about being able to ensure that you have the right people in individual countries. Um, if one actually is gonna have a presence there um, and ensure that these people know the, the, the terrain. Um, it's important to be patient in that respect you know, so that you, know, you have the opportunity to really grow the business over mm. a period of time and not expecting big things very quickly. Um, processes, um, very crucial because you know, to be able to scale, you need to have repeatable processes, processes that, um, you know, that are standardized across the whole business. Um, if not, you know, it's going to be very difficult to manage multiple operations in different countries uh, and platforms. I think platforms are the way of the future, particularly in terms of technology, mm -hmm. um, as, especially when you're looking at cloud-based technology, software as a service. Um, so it's crucial to be able to have the right platforms so that we can easily sell those solutions, easily service the clients properly in a standardized manner and ensure the processes work within the platform itself. Um, or those platforms themselves. So mm -hmm. what we've done at ASECO is that we've actually expanded two ways. We've expanded in terms of solutions that can be sold across Africa. Um, and for us, Pan-African expansion is very important to the survival of our business um, and diversification of our business. So we've expanded in ensuring that our security solutions, which are you know, which can be used across all businesses in Africa mm -hmm. um, uh, are sold, have been sold to Nigerian companies that are clients of ours in Nigeria, but are multinationals within Africa. So mm -hmm. for example, a Nigerian bank um, that has, uh, you know, that has branches in Zambia, Mozambique, um, Sierra Leone, Liberia, requires a our technology in each of their branches. So yeah. we've gone into each of in, into the country into those countries, you know, by selling with the bag basically to its branches mm. within okay. those countries themselves. And that's been a good area of of expansion without actually having a local presence. That's the first way of expansion that we've done. Second way of expansion is actually having a direct subsidiary. We set up a subsidiary in Togo. Um, where we, we have a team based in Togo um, that covers our Francophone African business um, and where we have a big project with the government of Togo um, around cybersecurity, um, mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, security operation center, SOC as a service. Um, and that has been built over four years. So it's taken a long time to build that. Um, and that's why I mean that you've got to be patient and you've got to have local expertise and yeah. you've got to be locally present, um, particularly in Africa, because business is built on, a lot of business is built on relationships. 
Um, and that is why you, know, you have to have that local team to build those relationships. So, so in summary, um, we've, we've expanded through our multinational clients and also through building in country mm. for a period of time. Yeah, and that's that, that's that's interesting because well, that was um, you know basically where I wanted you to to take me, but <laughs> you've taken the lead as as usual. Uh, <laughs> so so going, and I think but I think the the um, the idea of bootstrapping your multinational expansion by finding customers who already have presence is a great way basically to segregate somehow. Uh, you know, how much uh, you made, let's say, from Sierra Leone. And so, and, and you can look into, okay, now we have, you know, we have operations there. So, yeah, let, let's look at whether it's interesting to set up shop or exactly. not. Exactly, yeah. So, you're doing that on a, almost on a cost recovery basis. So, I say, you know, we're not going to open a big, a big, big thing and it will cost us a million dollars and then if we fail, we fail. So you're almost taking an MVP approach. You know, what would be the minimum viable footprint and not, not product uh, to set up shop in, in any countries with our multinational customers? Yeah, absolutely right. Um, and, you know, we have, we have, we're generating revenues, you know, throughout many countries in Africa without actually physically having been present over yeah. there you know, stepping into those countries. And, you know, based on that, we have a reference in these countries or we have references in these countries and we can leverage upon those references to determine which, where, where we want to go further in. Um, so it's been a, it, it's, it, it's, it's helped, you know, particularly from diversification of revenues um, because we, we earn foreign exchange from these transactions. Um, whereas in Nigeria, we earn the local currency. So we've been able to really and, you know, mix um, our revenue, revenue base within the organization and ensure that, that we hedge against the valuation of our local currency in our headquarters in Nigeria as well. Mm. But, but that means that you're bidding in local currency or you're using the US dollar or, or any other multinational or international currency? So what we do in Nigeria is that in Nigeria, it's, it's not legal um, as a Nigerian company to mm. bill in, you know, in non-Naira in non, in non non currency yeah. to local companies. Um, however, um, so, so we only bill in Naira to Naira. our local, lo, local clients. However, as we go into um, foreign countries in Africa, we bill in dollars. Um, so we generate dollars as we work with, you know, um, actually dollar, you know, in non-Francophone countries. In Francophone countries, we bill in euros. Um, so we're generating euros from Francophone countries and dollars from non-Nigerian Anglophone countries. So, so that's how we've been able to 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 um, to hedge against the devaluation of the naira. Yeah, well, I think that from the, the CFA Frank, I think it's it's quite easy. Well, easy at least. Uh, the, it's a fixed uh, foreign exchange currency, so uh, you know CFA against euro is is kind of okay. Whereas, of course, the central banks, you know, monitor um, the, the exchange from from CFA to euros, but but. 
but how does do the customer perceives you uh, billing in dollars in, in those countries that you, you mentioned, Mozambique, for example, or Zambia? So I presume that those guys are not, you know, would prefer to be billed in local currency. No? Yeah. So, you know, as we've, we, as we've moved into these countries using multinationals, um, in, in essence, what we're doing is that the multinationals, we're billing those multinationals in dollars and those, they are paying in dollars to us um, because they know that you know, we are operating from Nigeria within those countries themselves. Um, yeah. And we don't have a local entity in yeah. any of those countries. Um, so, you know, if you look at a typical multinational in, um, you know, I just, you know, a typical large technology multinational where, you know, they would have a central processing center in terms yeah. of, a, you know, let's say an island, for example, the clients locally would be paying in dollars to, um, to that Irish um, central contracting center, if you see what I mean. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, uh, for, for those for those who don't don't know how Microsoft operates, it's exactly how they operate. So they, <laughs> they build from Ireland, okay, which is kind of a tax-free heaven uh, in Europe. <laughs> so they build from Ireland, even the poor, the poor of the poorest countries in Africa. So but we're not going into that slippery slope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're not going into we're not going into that discussion. Um, but in essence, because we're, we're working with those multinationals within Africa itself, and we're bootstrapping that, you know, into our expansion, what they're doing is, you know, they're, they're paying us in Nigeria with, yeah. um, with, with, the, with, the, with the FX, basically. Yeah, I think that's a very, very good advice, actually, for people who are listening who want to expand and, and you know, finding ways to do that. Sometimes, you know, even, even as an entrepreneur, say, okay, we want to set up you know, to, or to, to, to be expanding geographically to a neighboring country. So, of course, the first thing is, well, we're going to find agents or we're going to, you know, set up a small comp- a local company where we build locally, blah, blah, blah. And then you enter, you know, kind of warm, basically, because it's, very, it, it's, it's costly, first of all, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's awfully difficult to manage. Uh, and that's something that maybe I, I want to take a segue because you mentioned people process platform, which I very much like i think it's a it's a great way to think even from a small business perspective um how to you know structure your business and scale but the people aspect uh i want to come back on that in a minute for for a second because um how so you 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 said that you set up a shop in togo so a subsidiary in togo so how do you how do you manage you know i think i presume it's local people that you hired there but how do you manage from a people management's perspective and a business management's perspective, people that are, you know, miles away from you? So um, it's a very good question. And, uh, you know, you, you made a point earlier about the complexity of setting up in a different country fully uh, and, you know, going into that whole mirage of taxation government requirements, policies, and such like, and, you know, ready to go the long haul, because it is a long haul. And what we did in in Togo is that we actually originally had somebody from Cameroon, we recruited someone in Cameroon to go and work in Togo, and the person was going in and out. And that didn't really work. Um, 
Um, and this goes to our point of actually having someone locally present. So we, we were working, the, the reason we went into Togo is because we had a, an, a, a significant opportunity in Togo. And my business partner um, was, you know, his French and was spending quite a bit of time going to Togo. Um, so after the first learning of getting somebody in Cameroon and that person was flying in and out into Togo, um, we decided to actually recruit someone based in Togo. Um, so we have, we set up an office, we have an anchor client, um, and we've got a team now based in Togo, operated in Togo, working with that client. And my business partner who lives in Nigeria goes to Togo very frequently. I mean, the flights from Lagos to Togo, like 40 minutes. So he flies into Togo um, maybe once or twice a month um, to engage with the, with the local team as, all, uh, as well as with the client and as we build up our business in Togo. So one of the key points I'll mention besides you know, that, that local presence, having people who know the country. You know, so that was the big learning about getting people who know the, the area, the place, have the local contacts is also being able to get an anchor client very quickly. Yeah. Um, in essence, you know, you don't want to make that investment in terms of moving into a country um, unless you have the funds. If you're a yeah. small business, you know, you don't want to make that investment unless you have the client. If you're a big business, yes, you can make the investment because you have the funds, you know, you can withstand time. But with a small business, don't take the risk. You've got to make sure that there is an anchor client that's bringing you in there and you'll be able to generate the revenues you know, right from the onset. Because if not, you can't justify that investment. And you may not be able to withstand the cost of you know, you know, building up over a period of time because it takes time. Yeah, no, and, and I think it's, it's a great point. I think it's... Uh... It's, it's it's reasonable and it's sound from a business perspective saying you know i got a customer so we and it took it took us time to basically get that customer and and it's a kind of a catch-22 sometimes say well of course to get the customer you need to be there but then you know once you got the customer then how do you how do you manage him or her but i think that's yeah you, you you're talking about this anchor client and i like the the, the image of you know hankering yourself basically through that customer locally and then you build around that and from a from a small business perspective with short on funds i think that makes perfect sense and it allows you to grow step by step without putting all the business at risk because that's what we've seen a lot you know the guys want to expand they throw cash 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 and then at one point you say well let's go back yeah or this bankrupt yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and we've seen that in Nigeria. We've seen, I've seen a lot of technology companies coming to Nigeria, invest significantly, and then yeah. leave after a short period of time. Um, my own perspective is, you know, you've got to be patient. I, you know, having worked in Africa for a long time, it takes a long, it takes a while to actually build yeah. business, especially build sustainable business. So you have to be patient and be ready to go the long haul and have the local resources. Um, and the best way to be able to do that is to have some sort of revenue stream coming in to justify that expense over a period of, you know, at, at the earliest possible time. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and maybe I don't know if, if you can share, well, any of, of your 
potential mistakes by you know expanding geographically so what are the mistakes you made that you wouldn't do again if you were to restart yeah so as i mean i mentioned one of them in terms of resourcing um yeah. you know, getting people from a different country to work in you know the country that we wanted to expand into um and um you know and that not working out um i think that's you know for me it's been a fundamental thing going back to the initial you know requirement in terms of people um i think the second part is really around having the right product set um and i mentioned this you know in terms of what problem are you solving and you have the right products to solve that problem as well um the, the what we don't you know i mean we have the ex- experience of providing the wrong products or, or you know it's easy it's easier to sell a product than it is to actually implement it and get it right get the mm. implementation right um and what you know a lot of people make the mistake of doing especially in enterprise software is providing a, a product that has worked in different countries and expecting it to work in in, <laughs> in a new country yeah. um and not really going through the detail of all the changes that will be required um and one has to be prepared for that one has to do their due diligence and the gap analysis detailed gap analysis to understand especially when you're talking about mission critical applications to understand all the changes that will be needed in terms of putting a product and international products into a specific country um you know we've we've had the experience of going into um large projects um where the products were not was not ideal and we've had to go through thousands of man hours to change the product to fit wow. the local requirements um and it's not a pleasant experience at all um so that 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 there's another key fundamental learning um for us but but how do you how would you approach that now because well instead of going through those thousands man hours so so is there i would say a, a past of least resistance to avoid that mistake or do you just increase due diligence and and go in, go into more detailed due diligence uh it's it's um it's twofold first thing is um the level of detail um that's that's needed uh particularly with large software projects mm-hmm. so be very clear and precise in terms of requirements for a client and then the second level is going through that path of of least resistance in terms of you know providing um technology in our case um technology that is universal so when we look at our like cybersecurity and trust services technology which can be used across all countries um without you know it's more like retail oriented technology and that's you know there's limited complexity in terms mm. of those those sorts of solutions so being able to actually you know more or less expand with simpler technology than with very complex um implementations geographically mm. um so that's you know for me that's that's the easier way to be able to you know you know build revenues you know in a diversified um geographical geographical manner 
Oh, nice, nice, uh, nice points there. So, coming back to to your journey as a as as an employee with Finestra and then Microsoft um, and then moving to the entrepreneurial world. So, if you were to restart your career from your MBA at INSEAD, so what what would you do differently and why? So, a number of things actually. Um, I think I would have started my entrepreneurial journey earlier. Yes, um, I agree. Yeah, I, I think I would have started it much earlier. I spent t 10 years after my MBA. No, I spent 10 years working um, prior to, to taking this entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey. And um, I think also that um, I you know, would have been, you know, I, I, I would have been um, a lot more careful um, in terms of how I manage, you know, my funds. So I mentioned that, you know, with, with Aseco, you know, we were very fortunate to have money invested straight into the business. Um, so I know the experience of having money and spending money versus generating money Yeah. Um, and, and building over a period of time. When, when, when one has the money right from the onset, it's easy to make some, um, some silly decisions, um, particularly in terms of expenditure, offices, yeah. expensive offices, travel, um, those sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. uh, instead of actually being very careful in terms of how one utilizes the funds to last you know, a much longer period of time. Um, so, you know, you know, at ASECO, we've had, we've had some, uh, you know, we've had some challenges. Um, we had a, some challenge, a challenging period where after the devaluation of the Naira um, in 2016, 2017, we had, you know, we had, we had been a very aggressive in terms of building business, getting clients, um, especially in Nigeria, where we were charging, charging in Naira, but we had our business, group business partners that were expecting us to pay in foreign currency, pay in, in, in euros, pay in dollars. Yeah. Um, and we lost, we lost a lot of money. Um, yeah. So, you know, I have learned the value of really being very tight mm. in terms of expenditure within an organization and really justifying each amount that is spent on within, within a company. Um, so I would have been, so going back to your question, what would I have done differently? I would have started earlier. I would have managed my funds in a much more um, precise and constrained manner as well. Um, and then also, you know, I'll be very specific in which problems I was trying to solve. Um, Now, I think that is very fundamental. What I've found in business is that no one is going to buy anything from you unless you're actually being innovative or solving a problem. And the fact of the matter is that all problems have been solved. There's a strange, this is my own perspective. All problems have been <laughs> yeah. solved. The only thing is, can you solve it better? Yeah. Is, it, is, is, what, is the solution that you're providing more efficient? Is it cheaper? How, how innovative is it? Um, and that's where I would have focused a lot of my energies on being very precise in terms of innovation, in terms of 
the areas that we're focusing on so that I wouldn't waste time chasing red herrings or working in mm. the red ocean. Uh, because that's what we, we you know, unfortunately, I, I, I have experience of. Um, yeah, so those three things, um, you know, first and foremost, starting early. Secondly, being careful with funding. Thirdly, solving the right problems. That's, that's great. Thanks, thanks for sharing. I think, it's, uh, I think we, we all agree that starting earlier is, is always the right thing to do. Uh, um, I, I, actually, it, it's interesting because I, I did the opposite. So I started very early and then joined Microsoft later. Uh, and I kind of, I wouldn't say I, I don't regret anything, but, but because I created my, my own company well, two and a half years ago, um, and I actually created three companies in less than two years uh, now. And I said, I said the same thing. I said, you know, I should never have stayed that long in that big yeah. company. <laughs> uh, 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 I forgot how good uh, it is just to be uh, free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, but it's, uh, it's you, you cannot redo the past. So you just have to live with it and learn from it. Yeah, I think, you know, you know the, the move happens at the right time. For yeah. you know, for for the individual, um, so you know the way I look at it is, yes, in hindsight, I'd have liked to have started earlier, but you know, it, I was still learning and I was still progressing, you know, prior exactly. to that move. But I, I had to make the move when I, I made that move. Um, yeah. So, so you know, I'm happy for it, um, but you know. It's, it's, it's business, you know, we're here for a long period of time. I have a father who's 80, he is a doctor, runs his own medical practice, and he's still practicing, you know. So I see that, you know, to, to, you know, for business, you can continue running your business for a long period of time. Um, and it's a, it's a lifetime. And the key thing for me that I'm trying to do with this business is, is I don't want to be here till I'm 80. I'm not going to be. But well, the point is, I, I want to build sustainable businesses, you know, that will have a long-term impact in society, mm -hmm. and will continue running, you know, well after I've left. Yeah, nice, nice point. So we're getting close to the end uh, of our conversation, which I enjoyed very much. Um, so just maybe the last question, and that's really for all the all the young entrepreneurs, your startupers who are listening to the podcast uh, and who have started their business and want to, you know, think about going cross borders and expand to other countries within Africa or outside of Africa. So what would be your, you know, one advice to those guys really to be as successful as possible from the onset? I would say that, um, uh, as you know, as they expand into other African countries, um, it's very important for them to have the right team locally. Um, they can't be physically present. The co the founder of the business, of the head at the headquarters, cannot be physically present in all these locations as they expand. Yeah, it's important. It's crucial to have the right team so that they can truly scale. Um, and, and, and scaling means having people doing what needs to be done in the right manner, according to the right processes within the organization to build sustainable revenue and ensure that the clients are satisfied in these countries. Um, what you certainly don't want to be doing is fighting fires 
in multiple countries. And that really comes down to have the right team locally. Um, so yeah, that's my summary there. Yeah, no, so spot on. Thanks, thanks very much. I think people, people, and people. So we can forget the processes and the platforms. No, you can't, you can't forget them. But yeah, but people is is number one. Cool. Um, final idea or word before we close. Um, I think you know. From a business perspective, when I sit down and I ask myself in terms of business, what am I trying to do? Um, I think it's, it's, it's very important to be very, to be clear as a, as a founder, business owner, about the vision that you mm. have for your business. Um, because, you know, they're going, to, they're going to be very tough times, extremely yeah. tough times in terms of running businesses. I'm sure that you've experienced this, Mark. You know, yep. where, you know, you want to come out. You need to, you need to, um, you need to breathe. Yeah? You know, you're using up your funds, running out of cash. You know, you've got other commitments. It's crucial to have that north point, that arrow. Where, what am I trying to achieve? What am I trying to build? Now, in my case, it's I'm trying to build a Pan-African businesses, leaders in their sectors, providing employment, local employment to people, having sustainable impact. Um, and they, you know, as you build those, as you achieve these small wins, you know, as you celebrate small wins, I think it be, you know, one becomes more confident and more becomes more satisfied in what they're doing. Um, it's not easy being an entrepreneur, especially in Africa, is extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, people make it seem as if it's extremely lucrative. It's not, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's cash sapping. So having that anchor vision and really going after it and pulling through, you know, will really assist, um, in, you know, in just, you know, in succeeding at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, that's my last comment. You have become a wise man. <laughs> Very wise man. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks so much. That was that was a blast. Thanks for you. Thanks for Lou. Thanks to uh, to all of you who are listening and tuned up to the uh, to the podcast. Um, you've been listening to Entrepreneur Stoke Africa, a source of inspiration and actions from African leaders and founders. I'm Mark Israel, CEO and co-founder of the Stoke Collective, the company behind Entrepreneur Stoke Africa. And today we have the immense pleasure of hosting Adefolu Majikulumni from Maseko, Nigeria. So see you next week for more inspiration and actions from across the continent. Thank you. Hey, cool. So we had a great discussion with Holu. So Gerald is not here, unfortunately. So he was uh, called into uh, another meeting, which probably would be fruitful to us. So I had the pleasure to be with Jason, who was listening uh, to this conversation. So Jason, um, what do you think? What are your key ideas or key ideas? Uh, yeah, so as you mentioned, uh, a great conversation. And I think there's a, a wealth of knowledge there. But for me, the, the key the key aspects that that, uh, that mentioned was definitely those three P's, the people process platform. And um, I think for any entrepreneur out there, 
if you're going to take anything out of this conversation, at least what I took was those those three core principles. And even if you're planning to scale Pan-African um, or even locally, those three aspects, until you get those right, um, yeah. you, you're going to be constantly fighting fires or you're, you know, you're constantly going to have to be hands in. Um, and like he said, you know, the people are the building blocks, the core. Once you get the people, you're able to build on that. But also the processes, which I think is something a lot of entrepreneurs tend to have as an afterthought. But if mm-hmm. you want to scale, yeah, the standardization of those processes are so key because without yeah. them, you, you can't replicate at all. I agree. No, yeah. it's it's uh, it's central and and generally that's why the uh, the founder has all the knowledge mm-hmm. and then you cannot scale because you cannot replicate the founder but you can replicate the processes that he or she puts in place. Yeah, yeah. And then um, one of the other really clever aspects and and I think you know it's something that I hadn't really considered is that aspect of of finding an anchoring client or, or finding mm-hmm. finding a client that enables you to scale with them across their, using their infrastructure uh, to aid your expansion, to yeah. test new markets. I, I thought that was really interesting, something I haven't yeah. really thought about. Um, and what would be interesting to know is like, how do you go about finding these clients? You know, I, I, I'm not sure how one would would find these clients. Yeah, well, I, and, and I think that from, well, we, you know, I could ask him, um, but I think that one of the aspects is that, well, first of all, it's through your network. Mm. You, you know people. And I, mm. and I think that's one of the key things. Why, why are you networking? You're networking because you want to meet people that could mm-hmm. become a partner, a business partner, or a customer later on. Yeah. So in, in the case of their expansions in Nigeria, Togo are closed, uh, very close to each other. I mean, yep. uh, close, close, close countries. And so I'm pretty sure that, you know, they had some, some business relationship there. Um, but, I, but I think that one, one way as well as, as even from this anchor clients is, and that's, that's the, I think that's a smart way is looking for customers that have a multinational footprint. Yeah. Therefore, and I think that's smart. So you can have, oh, let's really? say you operate from Kenya and then from Kenya, you sell to a customer that has footprint in, let's say, Tanzania, Uganda, <laughs> Ethiopia. And then, then you have those anchors now in those countries and that you can start leveraging. Yeah. I think, I think that, that was to me pretty smart. Yeah, really smart. And I think even having that client in mind will help yeah. you find that right client. So yes, yeah. you might not have the perfect client already or whatever the case may be, but just the fact that you're thinking, oh, this client of mine has a footprint in Tanzania for using your example, you can then explore that opportunity. But if you're not thinking yeah. about it, you will you would never take that step to to progress that relationship or exactly. progress the you know to the to the other countries. And I think to be honest, um, you you mentioned that MVP approach. That is almost that MVPing that new country yeah. and seeing how how your product fares in that exactly. local market. Because yeah. as he mentioned, with Africa, um, you know, we do tend to you know think of it as a sometimes think of it as a single market but they are very different problems within each country and i love what he said i actually love that line of it's easy to sell product because yeah. you know you can push product and and 
the, the, the thing that is harder is to get the product right for that market. And that product market yeah. fit is what will enable you to be successful. So just because it worked in Kenya, like you said, doesn't mean it's going to work in Tanzania, but you're able to test it with that client. So I think that combination of the two is, is spot on for scale in Africa and, and around the world. And I think um, even if you don't have those clients now, just being aware of it and having that in the back of your mind as you grow your company is a really good way to, to test the waters and MVP your product abroad and, and really you know, dip your toes into, the, into yep. the pool that is the African continent. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot of, of valuable insight there. And, and, think, and think, of course, well, we know that a continent is not like a single country, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you've got economical zones that exist, SADC, ECOWAS, that exist within the continent. And I think that exploring neighboring countries in the same economical zone uh-huh. may help as well. So you are MVPing basically your geo expansion. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's the same approach, you know, you, you're trying to do that with, and I love actually the fact that you mentioned as well the fund, you know, how you would have managed the fund differently. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think that's, that's, I think that's, that's probably one of the, of the top mistakes that all young entrepreneurs do you know we're just yeah ah, we spend too much yeah. on, on money doesn't things. solve all the problems you know it's not money that solves no. the problem that, that that's the takeaway i got from there and then i think uh, for me the the final point um was again the, the mention of the team but more so the the importance of local knowledge um in yeah. that market because we have a tendency to think that we know more than we do you know you don't know what you don't know but especially when you go into different cultures like even comparing um like you say countries that share the same you know economic climates and like we take kenya and tanzania or we take mauritius and seychelles or whatever they have they have a lot of parities but at the same time there are a lot of differences and that local knowledge is key um to to scaling so I think those those points that you put forward uh, are something that all entrepreneurs would would do well to to heed and, and, and follow.